0: This is Floyd Hughes, pastor of Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. I just wanted to share about my new book, Act Like an E-Christian. The E stands for evangelical. And despite what you may have heard, evangelical Christianity has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with the reason the body of Christ exists, sharing the gospel. My book, a devotional based on the book of Acts, Prayerfully encourages Christ followers to return to our evangelical roots of sharing the gospel with folks in our circles of influence. It's available on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle, and you can pick up a copy today. Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Good morning, Crossroads. Uh, Welcome to our Sunday morning worship celebration where we love worshiping Jesus together and we love celebrating moms on Mother's Day. Bonnie is walking around passing out flowers to all the moms and... Uh, I realized that today, I was talking with people this week, some people have <clears throat> just a hard time on Mother's Day, uh, either because maybe they didn't have the best mom or maybe because uh, they want to be a mom or can't. Uh, some people it's because maybe they lost some children and some people, I mean, if we're being totally honest, some moms, it's just, eh, we're a little tired of your children, they're like, okay, enough. Uh, But the whole idea is to celebrate those moms who vested in us, raised us, spent time with us, nurtured us and and brought us along. So uh, I'm gonna ask you guys to stand and we're gonna start by just praying for all of the moms. Uh, If you're watching at home um, and you're a mom, happy Mother's Day to you as well. God, we lift up all of the moms in our lives, those people who nurtured us, those people who spent time with us, those people who gave birth to us. Uh, And whether we had a good mom or no mom or a mom who struggled to be a good mom, uh, we pray that you would be with all the mothers this morning. Because sometimes the first reflection that we have of who God is, is through that mom that meets every need as they're raising us. So we pray that you would continue to bless them, encourage them, support them, and we pray that we as children continue to honor them. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. Uh, There's one more thing I wanted to share with you guys. Uh, You guys know that the, uh, Lene and Rachel and Melanie, they started a, uh, Moms Group, Naps or Nothing Moms Group, and as we shared with you guys last week, in honor of Mother's Day, they're going to be making a donation, and I did not check, so I have no idea which group it is, but they'll announce that, I guess, tomorrow. Uh, They're going to be making a donation to an organization that supports moms, and I shared this with them, so I'll share it with you guys as well. Uh, We do a podcast, uh, which is shocking that they agreed to that. Uh, but they agreed. So we do a podcast. And on our website, we get a lot of hits on our website. Uh, the second most searched place on our website is their podcast. All right. So people are like enjoying the content that they put out. So uh, I want to take a moment and just pray for them as well. God, and thank you so much that you allowed them to step forward uh, and embark on this journey to celebrate honor, respect, encourage, and to lift up moms, and we pray that all of the moms, uh, whether they hear the podcast or not, that they just feel encouraged by this group and by the culture that they are creating. We pray that you would bless them as moms as well, and we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and everyone said, amen, 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 amen. Amen. I had several interesting conversations this week with lots of people uh, would just remind us that, um, well, it reminded me that some people have a little bit of trouble trusting God and uh, don't kind of look at the person next to you, but raise your hand if you ever knew of someone who said, yeah, I I have a little bit of difficulty trusting God. Doesn't have to be you or the person next to you, but yeah, Uh, and there's a lot of reasons why. Uh, Some people, maybe it's because of unanswered prayer. How many people have ever talked to someone that was frustrated because God didn't answer a prayer the way they wanted to? Yeah, that's happened before. Uh, For some people, it may have been just harsh life experiences, like people who feel like, hey, since God allowed this to happen in my life, then why should I trust him with this, even though God may not have caused those circumstances? Right? Even though those circumstances may be choices that we made or choices that other people made, uh, but there's lots of reasons why people may have said, "You know what? I, I, I'm having difficulty trust God." So today, I wanted to start our discussion looking at why we can trust God. That's not the focus of the discussion, but it's a big part, because here's the thing: God always keeps His word. always. Well, what about the times when such and such, doesn't matter, God always keeps his word. Well, what about all these prayers I lifted up? We may not get what we want, but God always keeps his word. Not just 100% of the time, 150 zillion percent of the time. God always, now we may not like some of the things that God keeps his word on, But God always keeps his word. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Turn to the book of Exodus chapter 19. While you're turning there, uh, I want to put up another passage of scripture. So you turn to Exodus 19. Uh, Paul, talking to the church in Ephesus, kind of shows and gives reality to the fact that God keeps his word. He's talking to the Christians in Ephesus, and he says this, In him, meaning in Jesus Christ, you also who have heard the word of truth, the glad tidings, the gospel of your salvation, and have believed in and adhered to and relied on him, Jesus Christ, you were stamped with the seal of the long-promised Holy Spirit. All that to say, Paul just says, hey, if you heard the gospel and you believed in it, put your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross, then God gives you the long-promised Holy Spirit. God told his people long time ago, right? That they would be able to spend eternity with him. The Holy Spirit is the promise that God made. Hey, for those of you who are doubting whether or not God is real, this is why I have a difficulty understanding. Atheists, I can understand. They say there's not evidence. Someone has to talk to them and show them the evidence. Agnostics, I don't understand, because they say you can't know if God is real, even if you become a Christian. And God says, hey, if you step across the line of faith, and you believe, hear the gospel, believe in it, put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, then he gives you the Holy Spirit, right? Something that people have been like, how can I know God is real? And here's why he says that spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. In other words, it's the evidence that there is a divine God because the divine and eternal God puts his divine and eternal Holy Spirit in me. This is also why, and I may get, some people may get mad at this, why it's a little bit difficult for me when I hear people say I was a Christian, but then I walked away from Christianity because I didn't believe that God was real. And I'm like, then you weren't really a Christian because if you were a Christian, God physically put a divine, eternal being inside of you so you can't help uh, but know that God is real. It, it, it's, it's a guarantee. It's the sign-sealed aspect where God says, hey, there should be no doubt in your mind. And there are people throughout generations who have longed for this and who have waited for this and who have wanted this. So... Um, God keeps his word. He keeps his word to those who put their faith in him. And he kept his word to Moses, which is where we're going to go. Because Moses, now you guys might not remember this because it was way back in like January when we started Exodus. But in Exodus chapter 3, this is what it says. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will surely be with you. And this shall be the sign to you. In other words, I'm going to give you a sign so that you know that it was me who did this. Now, we know because we've been talking about this for months, in addition to all the other miracles that God did, he said, I'm gonna give you a sign so that you know that it was me who did this. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And in parentheses, this is why I put it in the Amplified version, we'll talk about that in a minute. It says Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, right? So if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Exodus, Chapter 19, and we're going to see that God actually kept his word to Moses. In Exodus chapter 19, and if you don't have a Bible, there should be one on the floor, somewhere around you, in front of you. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm reading all the comments, and Lori said it was beautiful worship, and I'm sure she's not just saying that because her husband killed it. (laughs) But great job. Yeah, so um, this is what it says in Exodus chapter 19 in the third month, After the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Now, uh, granted, a lot of the names and we read the places in the desert doesn't seem as important to us, but there's a reason why it's pointed out. Because uh, Mount Sinai was like a mountain, but it had two, two mountain peaks on it one mountain, like a camel with two humps. Normally they have one, but some of them have two. This was a mountain with two peaks on it. On one of the peaks, it was called Mount Sinai. Same mountain, the other peak was called Mount Horeb. Same mountain, just two mountain peaks on top of that mountain. And at at the bottom of Mount Horeb were the plains of Horeb, which is where Moses had this conversation with God. God said, I'm gonna bring you back to this mountain. At the bottom of the other side of the mountain, Mount Sinai, was desert, which is where they were now. So God fulfilled his word and brought them back to that mountain. And if you think, um, if you, how many people have ever been to Mount Washington? You know Mount Washington downtown? Yeah. Mount Washington, uh, one mountain. But on one side of Mount Washington, there's like uh, 51 and uh, uh, the roads that lead to uh, Dormont and all that stuff. At the other side, on the end of Mount Washington, especially if you go through the Liberty Tunnel, there's the river, right? There's the Mon River, uh, and there's the South Side and all the fun stuff to do. Not the South Side, the, uh, what is that called down there? Yeah, Market Square area. Station Square, there you go, and all the fun stuff to do. So same thing, on one side of the mountain, right, was the plains of Horeb under that mountain peak. The other side uh, was Mount Sinai. Now jump over to verse three. Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. And this next verse, underline this because this is going to be the conditional statement from this point forward until the fall of the nation of Israel. The condition is, If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, if they obey him fully, not partially, not only a little bit, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, just like we sung earlier. Now, here's the thing. What God wanted for them is the same thing that God wanted for us now. God wanted for them to be a treasured possession and to be a kingdom of priests so that one holy nation, the whole world could look and look at Israel and say, oh, this is what it means to worship God. And it hasn't changed because Peter tells us that that's what God wants for us now. He says, to you who believe the stone, he's talking about Jesus Christ, is precious. Those who don't believe, the builders have rejected, have become the cornerstone. It's a stone, he's talking about Jesus, that causes people to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. And he's making this contrast between all these people who struggle to follow and obey, just like God said, if you obey my commandments, to obey the word of God. But then he says, but you are a chosen people A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And some translations use the exact same words, God's treasured possession. And here's the reason, same thing God wanted from them, he wants from us. Here's the reason why he wants a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, so we can declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's the whole reason God wants a people so that we can proclaim him. And like we talked about earlier, when you step across the line of faith, he puts his Holy Spirit in you, which allows you, this is why a lot of people are like, you Christians, that's all you talk about is God. How can I not talk about the fact that the creator of the universe put his spirit inside of me and allows me to love others, to to be more encouraging, to be more loving to people? We should never stop talking about that. So Moses goes back up the mountain talks with God, comes down, and then he tells the people, hey, get ready to meet God. We're going to physically meet God. Because they hadn't met him. They heard about him. They saw the things he did, right? All the plagues that he unleashed to let them go. They saw all that, but they never met him. Now, they're going to have an interaction with him. So Moses tells them, hey, prepare yourself. God is holy. Don't rush up on him. Jump over to chapter... Uh, to verse 24. And this is what he says. The Lord replied, go down, bring Aaron up with you, but the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, and then this is the moment they've all been waiting for, right? God has been speaking to Moses for, for months now, preparing him, telling him, encouraging him, telling him to be his voice. Now God is going to speak directly to the people. And the thing he speaks to them first is what reveals his justice, his will, and his ways. And the first thing he says to them is in verse 2, or excuse me, chapter 20, God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery." you shall have no other gods before me. And this is where we get the Ten Commandments, because this is what that list is. It's literally the Ten Commandments. And the first thing he says is, hey, I'm the one who brought you out. So you would have no other gods before me. And the reason he says this is because they just came from a culture that worshiped multiple gods. They spent generations in a culture that worshiped multiple gods. So he's got to break all of the cultural conditioning that they've had. And so he's laying out to them, hey, doesn't matter what you did in Egypt. This is what we're going to do now as I create you into a self-sustaining nation. Then verse four, he says, you shall not make for yourself an idol, something to worship in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And where it says punishing, it's not like God says, hey, Floyd, uh, you were a murderer, so your children and your grandchildren need to spend time in jail. It's actually a word that uh, uh, there's versions that use the word visiting the iniquities. And the concept is, the things that I do are going to have consequences on my family. It's not that they're going to be punished for my sins, and God makes that clear in other places in the Bible. But the things that I do are going to have an impact. And then he says, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Uh, And so he says this, no, you're not to have any other idols. And a lot of versions will say, you know, I, I think the verbiage they use is no graven images. The idea that you don't create and carve or buy all of these idols that you worship. But the idea isn't that you just what you can make with your hands, it's what you make into. So we're not to make anything in the heavens above. We're not to make any people into idols that we worship, because if we start to go back to rule number one, no other gods besides him. So we're not to make in our minds or create in our culture anything that we're going to fall down and worship as an idol. Then he says, verse 7 You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And some versions say, uh, No misuse of God's name. Other ones say, Don't take God's name in vain. And they typically say when people curse because they say God, blah, 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 and use it as a curse. But it's not just the curse word of using it in vain. It's misusing his name. So if I stand up here and I take the word of God and I start twisting it, then I'm misusing God's name. If I say that God's going to you know, make you all rich because that's what God's will is for you and that is not God's will for you, I am misusing God's name if I'm twisting to word of God to say this and this and this is true, and God says it isn't, I'm misusing God's name. So then he says this, uh, verse eight, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Some of us need to underline that. The Sabbath although Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Sabbath was created for man, but it's to God. So yes, on my Sabbath day, which is not Sundays because I'm busy, right? On my Sabbath days, I spend time just kick back and relaxing, but I also need to spend time with God. And a lot of people have taken this out of context because they get that whole Saturday, Sunday thing. It's not about the day of the week. He doesn't mention any days of the week. The days of the week weren't even created yet. It's about working six days. And for most of us, we work five days. And then on the sixth day, we do chores and errands. But we need to make sure that we have a seventh day where we remember the Sabbath to spend time with God. And if you look, the first four commandments are all about God. Because first he says, hey, there is no one like me Number two, he says, don't try to create anything to worship like me. He says, don't misuse my name. And then number four, remember to spend time with me. The first four commandments that God speaks to the people of Israel that he's trying to create as a holy nation are all about spending time with God, worshiping God, acknowledging God's sovereignty. The next six of the 10 commandments are all about spending time with one another. So he goes on, And he says in verse 12, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. And that word honor means to respect them. And the idea is to create a culture of respect because everything else he's about to tell them starts from the family unit. Worshiping God's the center. And then from that point on, uh, starting a, a culture of respect in the family unit. And a lot of us can look outside and see that a lot of the Generations that are coming up after us don't necessarily have that culture of respect, which contributes to a lot of the problems that we're experiencing in our community. And then he goes on and he says the rest are are very generic and basic, but still he reiterates them. He says, you shall not murder, which literally in in the Hebrew is no murder. And there's a difference between murder and killing. It doesn't say thou shalt not kill. It says no murder. No murder. Because there are times when God gives the people authorization and justification to take a life. Murder is the illegal taking of an innocent life without authority, without justification. He says, you're not supposed to do that. This is all about how you're interacting with your community. Because Jesus takes it one step further and says, hey, if you hate your brother in your heart, it's just like murdering them. It's just like seeing them as dead to you right? Uh, And then after that, he says, you shall not commit adultery, uh, so no adultery. Uh, He says, you shall not steal, so no stealing. And then he says, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, because when you lie against the people in your community, then there's a lack of trust. If there's a lack of trust, then that breeds fear. And if there's fear, there's chaos, which we're seeing a lot of the problems in our community is because we, some people feel like we can't trust, whether it be politicians or the media or whoever. So there's a, a rise of fear in our communities. And then he says this in verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And I'm going to be honest, that word doesn't make sense to us, a lot of us today because uh, just raise your hand if you've used the word covet in a sentence outside of a biblical context during the whole pandemic. Yeah, not did was the word? Okay, yeah, because I was interested in hearing how that conversation went if somebody did, but most of us don't use that. So I'm going to put that verse up um, in the message version, which just basically takes the Bible and speaks it in plain language. It's a paraphrase. And in the message version, it says, no lusting after your neighbor's house or no lusting after your neighbor's wife or no lusting after your neighbor's servant or maid or ox or donkey or their car or their truck or their trailer or their family or their job or where they work or how they live or what they have or, and I did a little bit, their RV, because it looks pretty cool, Larry's RV. So every time I walk by it, I'm like, oh man. But anyway, because what happens when you do that, right? When you, when you create that, that, that culture of lusting, one is it holds a little bit of animosity towards the neighbor who has the thing that you want. So that's putting a divide against you and them. But the other thing that it does, it basically says, I'm not happy with what God provided for me. So it creates a little animosity uh, between you and between God. So uh, those are all the the, the 10 commandments that God revealed to his people. Now, now here's the thing. If you've been following along, I told you before, um, the rest of the book of Exodus, the book of Leviticus, the book of Numbers, look at Deuteronomy, God is just revealing to his people, here's the, the laws that you're to follow in order for you to be a self-sustaining nation. And there are 613 of them. Now, depending on, you know, some people will take some of the laws and break it into two or three. And so some people come up with like 680 or all these different numbers, but most theologians agree, 613 laws that God reveals to his people. Those laws cover the civil law, like morally, what's right and what's wrong, uh, what's illegal. Ceremonial law, here's how we worship God. The cultural law, things that were specific to that culture, like, hey, you have to go outside of the camp in order to build a bathroom, because that was that culture. We're not sinning if we do that today. But all of those 613 laws were summarized in what we just read. The Ten Commandments. It's a summary of those 613 laws. Jesus said all of those 613 laws that are summarized in the Ten Commandments were fulfilled in just two rules love God and love others. If you're doing that, then you're fulfilling all 613 laws, the civil, the ceremonial, the cultural, you're meeting the summary of what what the 10 commandments were meant to convey if you just love God and love others. And a lot of people don't understand that when Jesus said that, it was based on all of this. Now, a lot of people say we don't need the Old Testament anymore, but Jesus said that's not true. Right, Jesus said, don't think that I have come to abolish the Torah, which is the law, the first five books of the Bible, or the prophets, everything that the prophets wrote. He said, I have not come to abolish, but to complete. Some versions say to fulfill, but the Hebrew verbiage means to complete it. In other words, when they had the Old Testament, it could not be complete until Jesus came and did what he was called to do. Jesus also said this. And Luke, and we're going to wind down with this. He said, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. And that expert in the law would be the equivalent of the guys who you see thinking our day when you're watching CNN or Fox News or whatever you watch, and they bring on an expert to talk about something, right? And I'm an expert in judicial law, I'm an expert in medical this, so here's why you should or shouldn't wear a mask. And it's funny though, even though they're experts, they'll all say contradictory things. So there are experts who say, yeah, climate change, existential threat. Experts who say climate change is harsh, non-existential threat. Experts who say you got to wear a mask. Experts who say you don't wear a mask. So all of these experts, there was an expert in the law who stood up to test Jesus. And he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responded, what is written in the law? And again, Jesus is saying, hey, the law wasn't done away with it still stands. Jesus just completes what the law intended to accomplish. And the guy, and Jesus replied, how do you read it? And this is how he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responded, you answered correctly, do this and you will live. The this is love God and love your neighbor's. And this is an important question because Jesus gives an important answer. According to Jesus, one is not separate from the other. If you truly love God and you're trying to live as he commands you to, then by extension, you will love your neighbors as yourself. But then the guy does what most of us do. He tried to justify himself, so he asks, who is my neighbor?" Because that's what most of us do. If if we're Democrats, we say, do we got to love the Republicans? Because those crazy Trump lovers are out of their mind. If we're Republicans, we say, do we got to love the Democrats? Because they're destroying our nation. If we're one thing, we try to justify not loving this other thing. And this is what this guy did. He said, who is my neighbor? Do I actually have to love everyone? So in reply, Jesus gives him this scenario. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went on his way, leaving him half dead. Now, this is a scenario, I think, a while back when we were talking through this verse. Um, I actually put a video up on the screen showing that road. And there are like hills and mountains around that road where no one could see you, and robbers would lay there and rob people. They would wait until as soon as they come around this corner, they're mine. they're out of sight of everyone. For us, put it in our context today... It would be the equivalent of saying someone was on their way down to, not today because it's raining so nobody's probably going, but someone was on their way down to watch the pirates play and they got robbed in the parking garage, stripped of their clothes, beat, went away, leaving them half dead. Think of it today or, or last night. Someone was down on their way to the south side just to go hit all the bars and they got robbed, stripped of their clothes, beat, and went on their way, leaving them half dead. Someone was on their way to Kennywood. And then in the parking lot, they got beat, stripped of their clothes, and left dead. The idea was Jesus was giving them an everyday situation that they could identify with. And this is what Jesus said. He said a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. The reason Jesus picked a priest and a Levite is he was trying to show them that the people that you think are responsible for the morality of your culture, didn't stop to help him. So if he was talking to us today, he might say there was a famous actor who saw the guy, but he just crossed over on the other side. Because for most people today, that's who they think is responsible for the morality in our culture. Or it could have been a TV evangelist saw him, but then crossed by on the other side. Or it could have been your favorite Fox News or your favorite CNN announcer, because for most of us, we allow the news to—we to, to, think that the news is what is responsible for our morality, but then they walk by on the other side. Or if you're like me, your favorite Instagram, YouTube, or TikTok influencer, if you don't know what that is, don't worry about it, they crossed by on the other side. Jesus was showing him that, hey, the people that you think are responsible for creating the level of morality in your culture— they walked by on the other side. But then he said, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was and when he saw him, took pity on him. Now we may not understand the context of a Samaritan, but think of whoever you are opposed to culturally or politically. So if you're a Democrat, think a Republican. Literally, if it was Trump, he would be thinking of Biden. If you're a Republican, think of a a Democrat. If you're a, a fan of, you know, supporting those people who take a stand and kneel for the national anthem, it's the person who didn't kneel for the national anthem. Whoever you're opposed to, he picked someone that they were opposed to morally and culturally and said, that's the person who stopped and took pity on him and showed him to be a neighbor. And he said he went to him, he bandaged his wounds, and here's the key. Jesus specifically says that this guy did things. He didn't just take mercy on him. He didn't just show pity on him. He took interest in him. He took action. He bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He put him on his own donkey, or in this case, we put him in our own car. He brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. In our case, that was the equivalent of about 250 bucks or whatever you consider two days wages to be. For some of us that's a lot more, for some of us that's a lot less. So he took out two days wages, let's say $250 cash and said, look after him. And then he, instead of saying, when I return, I'll reimburse you, for us today that would be, then he swiped his credit card, said, however much it costs, put it on me to help this person who is morally, culturally and politically opposed to my existence. Because Jesus is making the point that, hey, loving your neighbor, it's a personal and intentional action. We can't say we, the church, love our neighbors while we sit silently in our buildings on Sunday mornings and don't say anything about the injustice that's going on in our nation. We also can't say we love our neighbors if we don't stand up when things come out and say, hey, I know it's not popular, but I'm going to take a stand and say that thing that's going on is wrong because we shouldn't treat people that way. But then he says this. He goes on and he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him that you need to go do likewise. And that we have to be very clear. Jesus said, go do this as well. That's how you love your neighbor, by taking action, by taking a stand. And here's the important thing. Here's the important thing. We have to remember the initial question, right? The initial question was, um, how do I get into heaven? And we're listening to all the voices that have no impact on that. We're listening to Fox News, we're listening to CNN, we're listening to social media, and they're guiding us, but none of those people, our voices, died for us. We should be listening to the voice, again, like we started with God always keeps his word. The one who kept his word by providing a way for humanity to spend an eternity with him by allowing his son to die on the cross for us. That's who we should be listening to. I'm not telling anyone to change your political party. I'm not telling anyone to do anything different. All that I'm saying is if we are letting ourselves be influenced by people who aren't demonstrating what it means to love our neighbor... Why aren't we listening to the one who demonstrated it beyond any question by dying for us? And he says that every single person that's in our circles of influence, even if they don't look like us, even if they don't think like us, that those are our neighbors. And that the question, remember the initial question was, how do I get into heaven? He said, the answer is not just loving God, but also loving your neighbor by action. And we were going to sing, but it's Mother's Day and we're running along and I don't want to make all the moms mad. So uh, I don't want them blaming me on why they didn't have a good Mother's Day. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask everyone to stand. And I know this may be a little bit awkward. So I'm going to ask you because we're we're in this environment. So uh, whoever you came with in your circle of influence, just hold hands with them right now. And if you're not holding hands with other people, just, just, just do that virtual pretend that we are reaching out to them thing. Because this is, this is the point of Jesus's message. Hey, every one of us is a neighbor to every other one of us. Every one of us matters to God. Every one of us is who Jesus had in mind when he went to the cross for us, And every one of us, we're the kingdom of priests and and, and the holy nation, the treasured people, that God wants us to show that to the world. And the only way that we do that is when we actively engage in loving others. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. God, we lift up your people. We pray that we would be true to your word. We pray that we would be a reflection of what it means to love one another. We pray that when people see the body of Christ that they don't see our politics, they don't see uh, our differences, they see your people banded together loving one another. We also pray that they see us taking a stand for the truth. That we're not liberally denying your word, but we are boldly standing up for it and proclaiming it to a world that desperately needs to experience your love. And we take an additional just moment, God, to just praise you for all the people who you put in our lives, who modeled that for us. To every mom that nurtured us, that, 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 that bandaged a knee, that scolded us when we need it, needed it, that encouraged us when we needed it, and that pushed us when we needed it. We especially thank you for all those moms that dragged us to church Sunday after Sunday, even though we probably weren't listening, so that we might hear your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.